Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. Will you please welcome, from Marin County, the best-selling author, the raconteuse, author of Bird by Bird, Operating Instructions, Mother of Sam, Anne Lamott. when you break into song. Oh, okay. Um, so that's a cute kid. That's a cute little uh, infant unit you've produced. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, untitled work number one. Yeah, we call him Baby T. <laughs> um, Sam has some advice. Yeah. <laughs> From the wise old pinnacle of being five and three quarters. Now, I may have told you this story already, but I think I, I also wanted to pass it along to my writing students and to anyone who wants to write because it's so crushing to try to get published and to get rejected a lot and to send stuff out and to wait and blah, blah, blah. But I thought also as soon as baby T is old enough to start grasping simple concepts, um, you might want to pass the story along. Okay. okay. Can you be trusted? Mm -hmm. I know you're tired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sam, used to Sam used to roller skate with a lot of anxiety because he was afraid of falling down because when it falls down it sort of hurts for a minute. And the other day we went roller skating and he roller skated like Bonnie Blair. You know, he was doing the thing with his arms where you skate, where you pull yourself forward by your arms and he... A he few does he have thighs the size of a uh, Like Eric like Hayden. Remember yeah. Eric Hayden? Yeah. yeah or me. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so he was skating just like a champion. He'd fall but he'd get up. And I was talking about it with him the next, the next day on the way to school, and I said, I was just so impressed by how confident you've gotten and how fast you were skating. He said, Mom, there's not a big deal about falling down. You just get right back up on your hind legs and try again. All right. <laughs> so. so he has four legs, too. I guess. <laughs> now, I don't know how you feel about Sam now that you have this eight-pound person, this new roommate, but... I remember when I had a tiny baby. Why should I, my feelings about Sam change? Well, because I remember looking at two-year-olds when Sam was an infant and thinking that they looked really gross, <laughs> you know? Because Sam was so delicate and sort of deer-like. And I'd see these two-year-old toddlers lumbering around, and I'd think they'd look like these little Diane Arbus characters. <laughs> so I don't know how you feel. No, it's, uh, it's, it's been beautiful to watch Sam grow, grow older. Yeah. So. Now that he's a young adult, you know, he graduates next week from kindergarten. I know, and he was reciting that passage of Moliere in French. It was astonishing yes. the other night. The child's gifted sedge. <laughs> so are you, uh, are you still giving up writing? Yeah. 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 Turns out I'm not one of those people, those writers that needs to write. You know how a lot of people say, well, I just don't feel happy unless I'm writing. I just don't feel whole. And it turns out I'm not one of those writers. <laughs> and I feel that if society can keep shooting me a good trial, I'll be just fine. You, uh, you're glued to the tube? I'm not glued to the tube, unfortunately, because I have this extremely contemptuous editor who keeps wanting pages, and <laughs> this person has got problems up the yin-yang, but so I have to work a little bit. But what I used to do, I always worked on the bribe system, you know, and I'd sit, because it's so aerobic. I mean, I've talked about this before. You sit down, you get up, you sit down, <laughs> you get up, you sit down, you think about writing, then you discover that you really need to investigate orthodontia and you get up and then you sit back down and then you feel 
a little tiny bump on your forehead and you don't remember if it was there and so you have to go see if that looks like a melanoma. <laughs> then you have to check all your moles to see if any of them are changing. Then you sit down, you get up, you sit down. So before, I would, before OJ, I used to um, say, okay, if you will, can just try that one passage where the uncle sees Inverness for the first time in the morning at dawn when the egrets are standing around with their hands in their pockets talking about things, I'll make you a sandwich. And now what I do is I say the same thing, but I, I say, we'll turn on CNN for 10 minutes. <laughs> so. And is it only 10 minutes? Are you pretty, uh, pretty good about that? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about 10 minutes of writing now. <laughs> and two hours of CNN, 10 minutes of writing, two hours of CNN. But little by little. <laughs> so uh, what's the fascination for you? Well, I, it's just so exhilarating for this incredible screw-up and drama and, um, um, and horror to be going on and for in no way whatsoever to involve me, you know? I had it's nothing to do level? with this. <laughs> it's just the profoundest relief that I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> like, my hands are clean, you know? <laughs> Plus, it's just so amazing. The whole thing's just so amazing. I, I just sit there and... It's like I know that the, the coroner this coming week could say, well, we've actually found O.J.'s blood in Ron Goldman's like wounds. We've, we've cleaned out some of O.J.'s blood. And Johnny Cochran will hold a press conference and say, this is being blown out of proportion. This is meaningless. <laughs> this is an attempt of the prosecution to inflame the jury. So I just find it exhilarating. And, um, and if, if something bad happens, I want you to get me Johnny Cochran. I think he's good. I think Barry Sheck is great. But it's like watching the Antichrist you know, rat around in the courtroom. And uh, it's sort of like, you know, since some of us have gotten a little bored since George Bush <laughs> slithered off, it's fun to have Barry Sheck around. So that's a day in your, uh, your writing life. I know that sounds angry, doesn't it, Sedge? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people think, well, I'm hearing hostility today. <laughs> I'm hearing contemptuousness. Uh, that's a day in my writing life, yeah. <laughs> Seen any movies uh, recently? Mm -hmm. I did. I saw something that I hated. Oh, I saw Die Hard, which I like the first two Die Hards. I mean, sort of cheap violence personality that I am. I, not, and the third one I hated, and I think it's partly that I, I'm so sick of Bruce Willis, and I am so, as Democratic precinct leader, I am so <laughs> horrified by all actors who have eaten barbecue by George Bush that I, I can't actually have any enjoyment watching him on the big screen anymore. And I think Bruce Willis is just an absolutely loathsome human being. Can you explain why Robert Dole criticized Hollywood filmmakers, except for those who made family motion pictures, and in that list, along with The Lion King, he listed true lies. Right. With Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, because see, all the people that sort of were okay had barbecue with George Bush. <laughs> if you didn't eat, if you refused barbecue with the Bushes, you got put on the list of people that are bringing down the culture. And then, of course, it's so hypocritical because these people are trying to get the ban on assault weapons overturned, you know? And then they're like having, they're upset about the uh, violence in the media. It's like, thanks for sharing. Bob. But um, I don't have a lot of coherent, well-thought-out feelings on this, but um, I'm not sure why. I just know that all the movies he singled out um, involve people that ate barbecue with George Bush. Seems very simple to me. Do you have a little section you could read from Well, Bird I was going to read a little section on um, publication, since I hope to avoid that in the future. What else did I... 
it's such a burden to be a published writer, isn't it? Would, would you much rather go back to when you were being an unpublished writer? Uh, I'm not really, no, I don't think I would be, but um, I don't seem to be really well enough for publication. And, um, and I just find, see, my students always believe that publication will make them well. And that when, after they get published, that their self-esteem will begin arriving by fax, phone, and mail. <laughs> and they will feel differently about themselves. And they will sit down every morning after they get published and begin typing away like the court reporter in the OJ trial <laughs> because they're just so filled with this arrival of self-esteem. And it's not true. You know, the writers I know, and I won't name names, but they are, they all go around acting like badly abused lab rats because... It's so confusing, you know? I mean, you, it's such a setup every time that, you know, you're going to be bigger than big and this one's going to hit big and you're going to be able to retire or at least you're going to get really well known. And I know people who are going through publication right now and they're really lovely people and they're all feeling like Tim McVeigh about now, you know? They're feeling betrayed and confused and they don't know what happened and it was supposed to go so well. There's 10,000 hardback books published a year and it's very hard to jockey into position to get the kind of attention that a lot of writers really are deserving of. Of course, the books that are selling are not the books that are um, the most beautiful books being produced right now. So it's very confusing. I mean, if I were at all employable, I would think about another line of work. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, they've got me. What am I going to do? Become a manicurist? I mean, look at my nails. I ask you. So Let, um, let me see how you'd look as Madge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, you know, I, I show up to do the I show up to do these workshops and stuff, and I give these long pitches about how writing is about telling the truth, and it's a real opportunity for healing and for finding out what life is all about. And writing can teach you how to pay attention; it can really open you and soften you to experience in life and to the mystery of it all. And my students sort of stare at me with sort of a little contempt, and then someone always raises his or her hands and says, but how do you get an agent? <laughs> and so then I talk a little bit about that, and then I go on and on about how the only freedom comes from the discipline of sitting down and doing really short assignments and, and really letting yourself write really awful first drafts and breaking through that perfectionism that's the voice of the oppressor and, and coming to be in a much more open and sort of joyful uh, way of life and they look at me like you're right and then they raise their hands and they say but should your manuscripts have your name on every page <laughs> and I know that they're really interested in publication and I just want to tell them that it's a fantasy it's like thinking that marriage will solve their problems and that it's a hologram you know it's the eagle on the credit card and it only appears to be flying <laughs> and that the, the real joy is going to be in getting a little bit of work done every day and lurching ever forward so I'm going to read just a little bit about um, publication. Okay, are you going to just like stand there and no, stare I'll, at I'll, me? I'll move. Let me, let me just let me just say, okay. you're listening to West Coast Live, San Francisco's okay. radio show to the world. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Sage. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's talk about publication. This is the very end of Bird by Bird because I'm so in intent on convincing people that publication should not be the carrot that gets them writing every day. Let's talk about the myth of publication. Say you've finished your book or a draft of the book or a whole lot of stories and you send them off to your agent, if you have one, or to a friend's agent or to an agent you found in the yellow pages or in the literary marketplace. Say you actually have an editor somewhere or an editor who once wrote you an admiring rejection letter. So you send your book or stories to him or her and to a couple of friends. 
As, I as I've mentioned, I'm one of those people who feels beside herself the day after I've stuck the manuscript in the mail. It can't have even arrived, and already I'm feeling bitter and resentful about what cold, lazy, sadistic slime I'm surrounded by. There are other writers, and you may be one of them, who just push their sleeves back and get to work on the next piece. I could never be close to a person like that, but I know they exist. Anyway, if you are like me, the day after you mail your package, you wait and wait and check your mail ten times, and you feel devastated and rejected every hour that there is no response. Finally, if you are lucky, a week later, you get a note from your agent's assistant that the manuscript has in fact arrived, and maybe one of the friends that you've sent it to has called to say that he or she has read a part of it, and that it's just terrific and not to worry, but you go ahead and have a small breakdown anyhow, waiting for your agent and editor to call and tell you that it's brilliant. Every time the phone rings, you sing, let it please be him, oh dear God, it must be him, but it is not him, and then you die and go on a massive eating binge and think about what phonies most of your friends are and how much you hate them, and then you calm down. You go for a walk. You feel a little bit better. Then you try to read something, but you end up reading your own manuscript again and reeling with shame at how bad it is. But just when you start to go into actual physical spasm, your friend calls back and says he's just read another chapter, and really, on the souls of his future grandchildren, he swears it's the best thing you've ever written. He loves it, and he loves you, so you're okay again for a good 10 minutes or so. After another week, you call your agent because you can't stand pretending to be cool anymore, but your agent hasn't even read your manuscript yet because he is swamped with infinitely more important matters. He tells you with the faintest hint of irritation that the very second he finishes it or hears from your editor, you will be called, and that everything is probably just fine. Okay, the agent asks, all better? You want to go rip his face off. Instead, you pray. And then you see in a flash of blinding insight that your agent and editor are in cahoots and what you heard as irritation was really just a strain of withholding hysterics. After being on the phone all morning reading each other passages from your book, they agree that it is the most embarrassingly bad book ever written and they are actually honking and screaming with laughter. At one point your editor is laughing so hard that she has to take some digitalis and your agent ruptures a blood vessel in his throat. They are, all, they are reading the scene to each other when your hero's father dies. And if you actually have a contract with these people, you assume that the editor now has to go get off the phone so he can go talk to the legal department to see if they really have to pay you the last part of the advance they owe you, or if maybe they can even sue you to collect the money they've already paid you. Where's Sedge? That's all. <laughs> All right. And Lamont reading from Bird by Bird, some instructions on writing and life. That's right. Yeah, thank you. You know, You're welcome. Uh, in the next uh, hour here, Ray Bradbury, yeah. Fahrenheit 451 and the Martian Chronicles, and God. he's he's published really like squillions of books. Really. That have sold mega squillions of copies. It's like having God plays. here. So it's like when Steve Allen was here, yeah, and yeah. I just wanted to lick him. <laughs> All right. Well, he may be backstage at this point. I don't know. <laughs> Anne Lamont. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Sedge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.